while women who write take flight. As women who write, we recognize the importance of supporting one another because together we are stronger. Our goal is to provide this support through discussions about developing character, setting, plot, and dialogue. We will include interviews, panel discussions, and informal chats. Our team of Wild Women includes Gabby Anderson, author of South of Happily, a novel that started as a love letter to a lost parent and turned into a story about staying sane when life tries to shove us to the business end of a meat grinder. She is currently writing the second book in this series, North of Happily. Kim Connery, author of the sci-fi romance Stealing Aries and the memoir, You're Not a Murderer, You Just Have OCD. She also writes a blog to bring awareness to OCD at harmocdkimconnery.com. April Dilbeck, author of A Sacred Thing, a detective story about the theft of an African shaman's mask that leads the readers from the Congo to the elite world of New York art dealers and collectors. Elizabeth Jones, author of literary fiction and our resident MFA in creative writing. And Kathy Nichols, author of The Sometimes Sister, a psychological thriller that explores the bonds of sisterhood and life after loss. Our flight is organic and our journey is ongoing. We invite you to join us along the way. It's a personal pleasure to introduce tonight's guest. Hey, Grace. Hi, April. <laughs> Grace Winter is a manuscript editor and has worked with Macmillan Tour and Fire and has taught writing workshops for Atlanta Writers Club and Wake Up and Write and has been featured on Huffington Post and CNN. If that's not enough, she earned a master's degree in marketing from Georgia State. Her debut novel, Free Falling, was a Georgia Romance Award finalist. And you can find Grace on the Writer Station, Writer Unboxed, and her website. So welcome again. And I want to add the reason it's a personal pleasure. I was looking in 2019, remember Grace? Yeah. And I was looking for an editor to take my pathetic little manuscript and see if she could do anything with it. And she was recommended. And man, did she do a thorough job. When I took a look at the notes, I thought, oh my God, I'm not going to live long enough to make this better. But what's wonderful about it is Grace didn't criticize. She pointed out areas where things could be improved, could be added, where I needed to do uh, more of a description. And in between, it wasn't just the stick. There were the carrots, too, as I call them, where she offered positive notes about where my writing was strongest and so forth. So I owe a lot to you. And I think I also owe you my book, don't I, Grace? If I yeah, never sent it. I kind of think you do. <laughs> so I'm going to turn you over to the rest of our podcast. Hi, Grace. It's Kathy. And I wanted to say that I really enjoyed some of the posts I read on Writers Unboxed. And I kept thinking, how in the world do you balance all that you do? It's very hard for me to do any kind of blogging. And I like the idea that you had a group that you were blogging with. So people who were really revved up could keep things going. But how do you balance your time between keeping up with the blog, keeping up with your own website, handling your business, scheduling your writer, your workshops? It seems overwhelming. 
it can feel that way sometimes. But before I go into all of that, thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. April, thank you for the kind words about my editing. Everything I do is because I love storytelling and I love storytellers and I want us I want to help everybody tell the best stories they can. So now back to being overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, actually, so the thing with Writer on Boxes, it was started by two women who wanted to build a community. So I'm just one of the contributors there. So I do maybe four or five posts a year. So it really, she assigns them quarterly. And I looked into this thing where I started interviewing authors because I wanted to get more of a behind the scene thing. So now my column is pretty much getting to know authors at every step of the journey in the writing process. So that's not, doesn't take that much of my time. The balancing, the writing and the editing though, it is difficult. I mean, it's difficult for any of us who write, right? Because sometimes when you have the time, the words aren't there. And then sometimes when you have the words, the time isn't there. So I try to just keep a good calendar. I use a lot of apps to help keep me organized. Try to manage my workload so I'm not taking on too many of the heavy, heavy editing projects at once. And then I try to make sure I get some writing time in every week. And there are things that do fall through the cracks, things that I have to say no to. My second book in the Free Falling series is three years late. But that's one of the great things about self-publishing though, right? I'm not doing this for a trad pub. I don't have to go by their schedule, but that's also the downside. I don't have to go by their schedule. And so I haven't published the second book in the series, but yeah, so it's just managing and juggling things and trying to prioritize and keeping things in order. But I love that I get to do both. A lot of our listeners are really interested in getting an agent I think self-publishing is an excellent route to go bringing your own boss and, like you said, keeping track of your time. But for people who are interested in trying to find an agent, there was a really, I thought, powerful post and discussion on Writer Unboxed about how writers don't really know how to write without thinking about the agent. And I know Liz had done some research into that. and I know she has a question for you. Hi. When I was looking up your contributions on the Unboxed website, where you are a regular contributor there, there was a discussion about the role of the agent in the process from a draft to a publisher. And, you know, there are often things that we writers are advised to do and and we're warned away from doing other things. And so a lot of the feedback we get can be centered around an agent and their need to pitch a story to a publisher. And um, I was curious, since you are a writer, a coach, an editor, and you also have your MBA in marketing, how do you feel that each of these areas has been affected by the um, turning of the tide towards what would create a good pitch for an agent to use versus a readership that a writer is trying to connect with? Right. That's a good question, and the answer will be layered, right? So the first thing I think people need to remember is that publishing is a business. It always has been a business. And unless you're a nonprofit, the goal of a business is to make money, right? And so as cold and heartless as it sounds, because, you know, we're writing our stories and we're writing from our hearts, and agents have to think about bringing on projects that are going to get acquisitions editors interested because that's going to help make their company money. 
and provide a reading experience to an audience that they will enjoy. So it, ideally it would be both, right? And just as with any other medium, uh, with television, with movies, we go through seasons where certain things are really popular and then they lose popularity. And so the same thing happens with the publishing industry. So I think, I think it behooves writers to keep in mind that this is a, it's a business and that they're, the agent's goal is to find something that will do well in the, in the business. It's just bottom line. And we might not like it. We might think it's unfair. And it means that a lot of beautiful stories don't make it to market. And that's all of that is true. It means a lot of beautiful stories that they might be too short or they might be too long or they might cover topics that people aren't clamoring for right now. It doesn't mean they're not good stories. It just means that they're not fitting to the market now. So I think a person has to have a conversation with themselves when they start writing. And the question they have to ask themselves is, what is the goal of me writing? What do I want to do? If I want to write a beautiful book that my friends and family are going to love, and maybe a small group of people, if I already have a blog or something, are going to love, then you, you can be less concerned about what an agent thinks or what the market is doing, because that's, that wasn't your goal in the first place. But if your goal is to get an agent and to get a book deal in a certain genre, then fair or not fair, you're going to have to write something that appeals to them. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to write something formulaic. It doesn't mean that you have to write to market or do something you don't want to do. You know, we talked about this a, a few seconds ago. There's always self-publishing. There's nothing inferior or less than with self-publishing. You get to really chart your own, own course with self-publishing. But yeah, so it, it might seem unfair and it does, what you do end up getting is some people who are only producing a product to send to an agent with not really a thought of their entire writing career or what are they going to do about that? You know, what are they going to do after? An example, I don't know if you're familiar with packaging companies. So pa a packaging company in the publishing industry is someone who is a, a company that has ideas and they find authors to write these stories for them. And then they shop those to publishing houses. So are you guys familiar with Pretty Little Liars? That's a packaged, that was a packaged product. And so I had the opportunity to write something for a packager or to apply to write something for a packager. But when I looked at it, it was in a genre that I didn't foresee myself writing in a lot in the future. It wasn't a thing I wanted to debut fiction with. I said, I decided I wasn't going to move forward in that process. And those are the kind of decisions you get to make. I mean, the thing is, nobody's making us do anything when it comes to this, right? And so there's a lot of autonomy in this business on this end before you get started. And so we get to make those kind of decisions. Thank you. Very helpful. And, and that goes into the next thing we wanted to talk about is the workshops that you do. Kim, has raved about the workshop and I want to let her talk about it. Right. You did a wonderful workshop at the AWC last summer and it was, it was great. And what I loved most about it was when you talked about the pinch points, P-I-N-C-H, in case that's hard to hear, because we know that we have to put our characters in these difficult situations so that they have growth so that they have an arc and we can see that by the end of the book that they've been changed you know right. we 
turn them inside out. We pressure them. But that can almost be like this nebulous sort of, well, when does that happen? And how do we do that? And, and the pinch points created these definitive moments right. where we can do that. And, and I remember after the workshop, I told my husband, oh, Grace talked about these pinch points. Mm-hmm. And it was so good because it helped define, you know, exactly what needs to be done and when and where. And I was wondering if you could talk about that for a few minutes. It was just so good. Sure. Pinch points and plot points, uh, we're familiar with like inciting incidents and uh, the midpoint of a book and plot point one and the climax. Those are all points in the story when you're using the three-act structure to create your story. So I'm a fan of the three-act structure. Any movie that you watch, go to the movie theater to watch, especially like an action movie or follows that three-act structure, right? You have an inciting incident, right? I'm writing a murder mystery now, so let's use a murder mystery as an example. So the inciting incident is a body is found, right? Or somebody gets killed. That's the thing that's going to set the character off on their journey, right? It takes them out of their current everyday normal existence, whatever that looks like, and propels them into the story. And then you start having these pitch points. These are, these are points in the story where a decision has to be made. And that decision then triggers the next thing that happens in the story. So let's say for my, in the murder mystery I'm writing, the person, if they're not a detective or a cop, um, if they're just like a lay person, they have to determine, am I going to look for this killer? Or am I just going to go home? Right. <laughs> if they go home, that's the end of the book. Right. But then they make a decision. Well, I'm going to look for this killer. And then they do something that propels them even further into the story. And everything they do is sort of a no turning back, right? You, they get closer and closer to the point where there is no turning back now. And, the, and that's why those points are so important, because not only do they create conflict in your story, right, and tension, but they're the things that make people want to be like, oh, I I can't put this down. Like, what is she going to do? What is she going to do next? And so I'm a huge fan of the three-act structure. There are many other, there are other structures that people can use. And also I remember, you know, in the workshop, I might've even given percentage points, like, (laughs) you know, this happens at this percent. That's not in stone, right? Your book might be a little bit different, but those are just guidelines. I always think that even the three-act structure Everything that we share as editors, these are guidelines. Your story might be different. Your story might need to be different. But these are things to at least get you started in a, in a way that says, okay, at least I know this is what's going to happen. Like my first book I ever wrote years ago, never published because it was horrible. I just know it's, in, it's on a hard drive somewhere. That's how bad it was. I had no, like, there was no plot. It was just feelings. <laughs> it was just people talking and going to eat and doing this and somehow somebody's heart got broken but we don't know how because there there was no tension there was no conflict really and so I needed sort of a structure to help me say well this happens and this happens and because this happens then this happens so I'm a huge fan of using that as a jumping off point that really does a great job of segueing into what I wanted to talk about because I love free-falling it's a romance. I remember reading when you first started venturing into writing that you were uh, insecure, I guess. And I, well, we're all insecure about it, no matter what. But that you weren't quite sure 
how you were going to go about it. Now, I don't know at what point in your career you wrote Free Falling, but it is a romance. And I know romance readers have some very rigid expectations. They want, they want certain things to happen. They better happen or you can't call it a romance to them. But I think you also did a really good job of making it more than a formulaic romance Mm -hmm. because there's things about community, about redemptions from making bad decisions and and a lot of romance does that actually people yeah people like assume that romance is just about the the relationship between the two main characters but most romance like all the romance i i read and read involves family and community and relationships so again the one definition that has to hold for romance is that it has an happily ever after or happy for now right but then within the confines of that people really have a lot of leeway with what they do and my my story is actually romance fiction like it's a big it's a a distinction that not too many people make but because I don't have a leading man who has his own voice in the story like my chapters don't alternate between free and you know the main male character it's all her point of view it's sort of like more a leaning women's fiction than romance. So people who are looking for the male point of view, a male character, they might not enjoy my story as much because it leans more women's fiction, but that's, that's, I enjoy writing that. And and that's how that came about. Did you have fun writing that book? It seemed like there were joyous parts of it. Yeah. I enjoyed it because I like writing about cooking and, the cultural um, aspects of it. I like writing about family and friends and those kind of relationships. I like writing about Georgia, even though I made up the town. Like I like writing about that kind of, it was fun in the way writing is fun. <laughs> you know what we mean by that, right? Like when it's, it was fun when it was done. Let's put it that way. Exactly. And of course, you know what I'm going to ask because you left us with some really excellent uh, secondary characters and we are kind of expecting uh, rumor has it that your dad is a little bit angry with you because you haven't followed through right. on the second book in the series yeah, yeah. Uh, you, got, you already gave us a hint about what you're working on but how do you plan for a sequel I think it's difficult it is very difficult obviously because I haven't done mine yet but with me, I think what happens if, if a story idea hits me and I think it's relevant and it's something like it's not, it won't leave me alone, then I have to do it. And that's what happened. This murder mystery just wouldn't leave me alone and I had to do it. And that pushed Iris's book on the, on sort of the back burner. So I'm hoping to return to that series this year. I've actually outlined Iris's story, but then another romance fiction book came to me. So I know Iris deserves justice and I'm going to do something hopefully <laughs> this year. But I also feel like I have to follow the book that's talking to me. So, yeah. And you're working on a murder mystery. Did you have any kind of inspiration or inciting event that you heard about that brought that it's- idea to you? Yeah, so this is a YA speculative fiction murder mystery. So it's set in uh, the near future U.S. with an alternate history timeline. And it has to do with immigration and what if laws were different surrounding immigration. And under the umbrella of that, a young, a 16-year-old girl, 
her best friend gets killed and they uh, resemble each other. So she takes the best friend's place in a program to try to find the killer. And so that's, I don't know what possessed me to work on something that difficult <laughs> for my, for my like second sort of novel, but yeah, so that's been a challenge. It's, I had to buy a lot of craft books to learn. And that's what people don't realize. Even as editors, we buy craft books. We study craft books. We go to conferences and workshops too. I had to do all of that to get it to the level that I felt was a good level. And I'm querying that right now, actually. Very cool. I also think that people are really into that kind of YA fiction as yeah. in older, all, all ages of people. I oh, yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason that I chose to go try the traditional route with this and not self-publish, even though I'm such a fan of self-publishing. Um, like, like the free falling series will always be like, I'll always write romance fiction, self-publish, but, uh, and I think it behooves any writer who can do it. it that's called hybrid uh, to be a hybrid author. I think it behooves all of us to attempt that way. Cause you get the best of both worlds that way. But yeah. So because I think YA especially does good in the traditional does well in the traditional market and because those themes are popular right now. That's the reason I decided to go traditional with that. That's really excellent advice and a great point about that, uh, that it's okay to be self-published and by the traditional Yeah, route. years it, ago, there was sort of like a stigma around it, but it's that kind of stigma was never author respectful. It's sort of like, well, there's only one way to do this and that's the end. It, it left out the fact that most authors who go the traditional route never get a book deal. Most mm -hmm. people who get a book deal never get more than one book. And the people who do <laughs> often can't make a living just by that. So, I mean, we're, you know, we, I, we started talking about being a business and being realistic. As authors, we're businesses too, right? And unless we're doing it purely for pleasure and there's nothing wrong with that, but if you're doing it to try to make some income, I think going the hybrid route is the best route for most people if they're interested in that kind of thing. When you were talking about the editor going to conferences and, and taking classes on the craft, that really piqued my curiosity because I think like myself, there are a lot of writers out there that are also interested in being part of the editorial process. So I was curious about how you yourself decided to move outside of writing and keeping that going, but also moving into the editing world and how that came about. Sure, that's a great question. So I was working, I was a marketing professional before I started writing full-time or editing full-time. And while I was in my previous job, before I went to full-time freelance editing, I went, I took um, University of Chicago's online editing certificate uh, program. And it's like, a you, you could probably do it in a year, but I was working full-time and, you know, I had other things. So I took about two years to do it. And at the end of that, when I went full-time freelance editing, that gave me the technical training I needed for the editing part of it. But I've been reading and attending workshops for years. And like, I can't, I just, I don't even know how many books I've read in my life. If I turn the camera around, you'd see the bookshelf in front of me. 
it's got probably 400 books on it. And this is after I've given away like 600 books. So I've always, always been a reader. I think the one thing I think everybody who wants to be serious about being an author has to do is read. And so that also helped a lot, right? And so, but I also think I, I have sort of a coach spirit and empath spirit, which is why it's not hard for me to say, oh, this is great. This is beautiful here. But I think we should work on this too. And this is why I think I work well with my clients because I believe that they have the right to tell their story just as much as anybody else does. And I want to encourage that. So yeah, so the technical training was important. Having the love of reading and having a history of knowing, because I think there's something, I know when a sentence sounds great and when it doesn't, right? And that, some of that you can't teach, right? Some of that you just learn from having read everything, all kinds of books here. And so I think those together make for a good editor. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. And before we let you go, what's the best way people can contact you or find your books? Both. Um, the best way to find everything about me is to visit my website. It's thewriterstation.com. And you can um, email me. My email is available on that website. And you can learn about my writing on there and my editing. So thewriterstation.com. Yep. Thanks again, Grace. It's been wonderful. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.